This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Noah Hannafin, right side, charging wide, tries to go back into forehand, he scores! Pass was blocked by DeSmith's stick. Now Backlund throws it out front for Hooper, no side of the goal, he scores! say on the official home of the Canucks. Flames get it to center. Lindholm shoots and scores into the empty net. Elias Lindholm makes it 5-2 with his third goal of the season and that should just about do it. Canucks on track to lose just their fourth game in regulation this season. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks lose 5-2 in Calgary against the Flames. Not a lot of juice tonight. Tough performance on the road. Only their first regulation loss against a Western Conference opponent. Their first loss against a divisional opponent as well. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can grab a phone line as well. 604-280-0650. And Bick, really quickly before we go to uh, Randy Janda awaiting us uh, to chat about the game here. Canucks not a lot of energy tonight, but also didn't help themselves much on the ice. No. Uh, a couple of mistakes. And, and look, when we talk about being fatigued, being tired, there's the physical toll, but there's also the mental toll. Are you as sharp? Are you as focused? And there was a lot of you know, loose pucks thrown about and hope plays, which we've seen in the past. Uh, so far this year, they've been reliant on uh, the established standards that they're trying to do in the structure. Uh, not a lot of reliance upon that tonight. And uh, you can see the fatigue bleed into just the physical play, uh, but the mental side of it too. Yeah, and I think that was pretty evident in the third period, in the second half of the game especially. Let's welcome in Randeep Janda into the conversation. And Randeep, I mean, the Canucks started the game off fairly well, I thought, in the first. It was tied 1-1, took the lead, and, and looked overall to be you know, pretty decently positioned in the five-on-five play, but that really changed. It fell off a cliff in the second period. Oh, it definitely did, and I think two things in that first period. It was pretty contained, you want to say. You know, they didn't create too much five-on-five themselves, but they didn't give up anything in the middle of the ice. Second period, to their credit, Calgary comes out a lot better. In the first period, they did not look good. They couldn't deal with the Canucks' forecheck, and I would say Calgary, as much as they stepped up their their game in the second period, the Canucks just couldn't respond. And guys, as this game went on, you know, the fatigue um, was evident in the third period. It was starting to show in the second period. But all it takes sometimes is that one play to kind of really sink your confidence. And I go back to the Mackenzie Weger goal, 1-1. Uh, Friedman dr- uh, dives into the offensive zone. You're probably feeling pretty comfortable if you're a Canucks player at one nothing. That happens in transition. They allow the goal to Weger, And really after that point, it was all Calgary whether it was the shot clock, whether it was the scoreboard, and just in terms of confidence and playing on on the front foot, Calgary controlled the rest of the game. Yeah, you know, the the thing that was stood out, it, it just didn't feel like they had outlets that we've seen so far mm-hmm. uh, this season that, you know, as I was just mentioning, that they, we've seen them, like, even in a bad period, recover and say, okay, we, we, we know how we have to play to get yeah. back to it. That never yeah. really got established in this game. No, and it's. I think when you know we talked about, and you guys were talking about it before I came on here about there's the physical fatigue which we started to see, but the mental fatigue is also when you start, you feel like you've exhausted all options on the ice, right? You try to go for the 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 solo plays or um, you know just 
those kind of those mental brain freeze or whatever you want to call it, where in that moment you're you're also not able to think at that speed as well. So to me, I think there's a lot of processing out there, a lot of uh, a thinking on the ice going on, and that happens when you're feeling tired. So part of this was physical fatigue, mm-hmm. no doubt. I, I think there's certain moments where even a player like Quinn Hughes, guys, we were talking about this earlier on, Sat, where uh, we we didn't have any more descriptors of how unbelievable he's played this year. Yeah. Sometimes you just have physical fatigue that, that really grinds you down and, and you have a, a bit of a stinker of a game. And unfortunately for them, that's that was tonight. Well, and it's one of those things where Quinn Hughes had a real rough night. I mean, how often do you see him get dummied by somebody else with their skating? That's what Mangiapane did to him in the third period. Yeah. A real rough outing from Quinn, Quinn Hughes. And I don't think there was anybody that had a particularly good game here tonight for the Canucks. No, it was, you know, there's moments in that first period when you're saying, okay, this could be a, a special night. Uh, you know, Elias Pettersson mm-hmm. basically, you know, gives Philip Hronik a pass uh, where from the middle of the ice, he takes in three Calgary fl- uh, players and passes like he's got, you know, eyes on the back of his head to Philip Hronik to create a chance. But really, that was it. The first period, maybe the opening 10 minutes, you could say, okay, this was, this looks like it's trending in the right direction. But uh, yeah, consistently across the board, uh, I don't really think a Canuck player really stood out tonight. And that speaks to a couple of things, right? Um, some of their star players, and they've had an excellent team game. Look at the record. When you put up 25 points, guys, there's very little bad to say about a team to start off the year. They've been unbelievable. But you're going to have games like this where, you know, you're going to have you know games where your stars aren't able to respond because mm-hmm. they're playing three and four. So I look at tonight to say, hey, JT Miller, you know, great pass on that goal by Pedersen just freezes up the entire PK of the Calgary Flames, but they weren't able to save uh, the team, which is something that you're going to have on a lot of nights, uh, the majority of nights, but tonight it wasn't one of those because everybody felt like they were pretty fatigued, they're pretty tired, and I know there's going to be a lot of fans saying, hey man, they're, they're paid millions of dollars, but uh, the reality is this time of the season, November, December, up until Christmas, and definitely the All-Star game, it's a grind, and when you play a lot of games on every other day, they're going to have games where you fall a little flat, and that was that was what happened here. So, yeah, I agree with you in terms of looking at any single player to say, hey, he was really good, or they could have won uh, you know, in a winning effort. This player would have got a lot more spotlight. I didn't really see that effort tonight. Uh, a lot of commentary coming into the inbox, 650-650, uh, people pointing out, hey, it felt like this is a night when you when you notice the injuries maybe piling up. And, and, and look, nobody wants to use injuries in as, as an excuse, fatigue as an excuse, but uh, the depth is being put into question a bit uh, tonight, Randy. Yeah, and especially on the back end, when we start looking at you know Mark Friedman, 11.45, which is more than he's been playing recently, but that tells you something. Uh, Noah Juleson getting up to about 15 minutes. And then you have three guys that are in the range of 22.37 to basically 23.46. Uh, so the rest of those four defensemen on the back end, kind of minutes were spread out a little bit more uh, rather than Quinn Hughes eating 29 because he had a lot of power play time. But that tells you that when we talk about a player fatiguing, and I'm not solely focusing on Quinn, but he's the guy, him and Philip Ronick eat a lot of the minutes. Um, there's a real imbalance there on that final pair or those final few defensemen. Uh, so we've talked a lot about it, guys. What's the answer to that? Carson Soucy out six to eight weeks. Uh, that hurts you on a couple of things because essentially it gives Ian Cole that much more importance. And I, I, I love Ian Cole's game. Uh, I think he's been a, a, you know, a game you know, changer for them in terms of of being able to step up into the neutral zone, being aggressive, laying dudes out, being huge on on the PK as well. But that 
puts a lot of stress on him to be that much better on the PK because you don't have Carson Soucy there. Uh, so that's going to not only put stress on Quinn Hughes to play more minutes, um, but there's got to be at some point as this team is developing into, you know, ideally uh, a team that's competing in the Pacific Division and in a top three spot, which is they've put themselves in a great spot. Uh, you do need an answer, though, for a little bit more depth because I think with Mark Friedman over the last few games, guys, we we can kind of sense where the trust factor is right now. Uh, and before we let you go, Casey the Smith tonight, and what did you think of his performance? Yeah, there was a couple of moments he didn't look the most confident. Uh, I think that goal that the Dylan Dubé one is one that he'll want back. He thought he had it, ends up going through his arm, between his legs, sits on the blue ice. Uh, you know, overall, we've seen Casey play better. He made that unbelievable save, the toe save that kept the Canucks in the game. Um, but outside of that, I thought it was kind of an average game for Casey DeSmith. He's, he didn't have much support. There was a lot of, um, you know, camping out in, in the Vancouver zone in the second period and beyond. So the team wasn't necessarily great in front of him. There's a lot more room in the second period, in that middle area, the, the guts of the ice, so to speak. Uh, so I'm sure Rick Tockett is probably going to focus on that. Uh, but overall, we've seen Casey DeSmith save his team a couple of times. He had one of those saves tonight. Unfortunately, uh, he wasn't able to provide more. So I thought it was an average night, a couple of goals, especially that one where he just can't, he just can't trap it and he can't you know, absorb the puck there that he's going to want back. Randy, great stuff as always, calling the game uh, alongside Brendan Batcher. We look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Cheers, guys. And now, uh, Bick, thank you so much for stopping the Blame Janda campaign. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I tried. Thank you. I tried as, as best as I could. Was, were your mentions a mess last night? Oh, yeah. I usually turn my notifications off just because, you know, if you're busy or whatever. But yesterday, I actually had them on. And I was getting text message after text message saying, you fed Ian Cole too many pakore. So uh, I was... I was but he, he came back and he uh, played a decent game that night. So, um, you know... Uh, Thank you, Bick, for starting the Blame Janda campaign yes. and ending it very quickly. <laughs> uh, great stuff, man. And uh, great stuff yesterday. Great stuff today. And we look forward to chatting very soon. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good night. You got it. That is Randy Janda calling the game alongside Brandon Batchelor. Keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. And, you know, tonight the Canucks didn't really have anybody that had it. Right, Casey the Smith wasn't able to bail them out either. Mm-hmm. And not that you want to sit there and blame it on the goaltender who came into this game with a four zero and one record as a Vancouver Canuck. So you've been getting everything you can ask for. And the reality is, you are going to lose games. It's going to happen. But also, Bick, this is their fifth game in five different cities over eight nights. Mm-hmm. Tough, right? And hey, overall they've done good. They've won three of those games. They only lost two of them. You, you'll take that, right? A lot winning, of flights. Yeah, you'll take winning three out of five in that type of a stretch. It doesn't get any easier, though. Starting Saturday, they have another five games and eight days stretch coming up, which culminates in a back-to-back as well. And it's not all exclusively at home. They have three of those games on the road, Colorado, Seattle, and San Jose. It's not getting easier, schedule-wise. So fatigue's a factor, but how the Canucks navigate this stretch here is going to be really critical. The, the travel isn't going to get any easier. No. The strength of competition, still not exactly up to such a standard. Look, yes. they're going to play San Jose twice in the next nine days. So we can sit here and say, hey, like, flights and games and five different cities and all these flights, they take their toll. But uh, playing San Jose is like the first-class cabin. You just get to relax and put your feet up. 
Oh, do you want me to draw the shade for you, too? Hot cookies when you wake up. Uh, so two games against San Jose. Got to get four points in those ones. And, and just here leading up to the end of the month, uh, you know, you got a chance to maybe get six more points. And if you told everyone 31 points by the end of November, a lot of people signed up for it. And, you know, a phrase we used a lot, Sat, last January or February or the past couple of seasons when, you know, People would say, oh, I still believe in this team. And, and and people said, well, what are you talking about? Why? And the phrase we kept using is they, they haven't given you the benefit of the doubt. Okay? Through 16 games here, the Canucks have suddenly uh, given some fans the benefit of the doubt that on game 17, it, it wasn't Philly bad where that one they just looked outclassed and it was like, oh, where's the energy coming from? I think fans can chalk this up and say, okay, look, back-to-back, all these flights and everything – They've earned the benefit of doubt for one performance. And, yeah, there's some people that are perturbed and say, hey, divisional game, it still matters to be Calgary. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of understanding that, yeah, it was a difficult task. And tonight, they weren't up for it. Yeah, And, uh, you know, there, there are people, uh, Travis on Twitter says, hey, don't, don't look over the fact that they've been outplayed in four out of five games. It's a bit of a trend. So I get that people are also looking at it and mm-hmm. saying we've seen some performances. That, and, and there's no secret. The Canucks have won a bunch of games. And maybe they've won a game or two they probably shouldn't have throughout the course of this incredible run where they started 12-3 one heading into this game and hey it so happens you end up losing a game but nonetheless to me it's more about how do you respond to these sort of things you are going to lose hockey games how well, how do you look on saturday against the seattle kraken that's essentially what it comes down to and mm-hmm. i think we're we graduated to the point with this team and we can talk where we have a lot of breakdowns to do on the game and we'll talk about it but it's not so much about bemoaning hey you lost this game oh my goodness like hey you missed an opportunity this team is slipping it's more about okay you lost now you're 12 4 and 1 on the season which still is a tremendous start to the campaign. How do you respond on Saturday? How, how do you come back from a performance where it wasn't to the level you needed it to be? Excuses or not, fatigue or not, I don't think that the players to a man are going to be happy with how they played tonight in Calgary. So I would expect they respond fairly well against Seattle on Saturday. Uh, six fifty, six fifty, and also you can uh, tweet us as well uh, at Satyar Shah uh, at Bik Nazar. Uh, a couple of thoughts coming in here. Uh, this one from Nuck News. Uh, man, the Canucks are a weak team. Uh, they don't got anyone tough to push back. There were a couple of moments. Uh, Pospisil, Zadorov throws a bit of a forearm over at uh, Pedersen into the back. Was there enough of a response for you tonight? It was the thing that we were looking for. If, if there would be a little bit of a response, like really late there, there's something, but yeah. not particularly anything. No, there, there really wasn't a lot. Like a physical response wasn't there. And when this team doesn't have a lot of energy and juice and they're not contesting plays, playing with that energy, and they're not, you know, forechecking effectively, they look meek. I get mm-hmm. it. They're not a big team. They're not a physically imposing team. They're hard to play against when they're skating hard, when they're playing, they're positioning well, and they're playing with discipline. That just wasn't there in their game tonight. And when you see that, they do look really meek. And that's kind of what you saw more than anything else. Uh, this t- text here from Canuckaholic70 in Pitt Meadows. Been an unbelievable start to the Canucks, and they've had a, a very little to criticize. However, I was a little disappointed a depth player didn't step up and challenge Pospisil after the cheap shot on Miller. And I think uh, you mentioned that, mm-hmm. but I think that's kind of the thing. I, I understand that from fans. Uh, it, it's one of those fans want their pound of flesh. Uh, a little bit. Give me something out of that game that that looks so lethargic, so listless, and it, at least it shows something. You know, ultimately, I, I think this time this team has done a decent job. You know, sticking up for each other. The the, the possible stuff tonight wasn't egregious, 
But it could have warranted some sort of a, a response. Yeah, it could have. Uh, but, you know, the Canucks also had opportunity to get back in this game. It was mm-hmm. 4-2. They scored a goal to make it 4-2. And they get a power play right away, 10 minutes to go. And Your guy. Connor Garland with a penalty. I don't... I. I don't want to spend too much time. Listen, the, the, Canuck, the Canucks didn't lose tonight because of Connor Garland. Okay, so I don't, I don't want to we do a rant on Connor Garland it. tonight. Okay, save it I don't want to. I don't want to. I, 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 I just, I just I, don't I understand what you're doing when you put your stick in the guy's skate. I just don't know what you're doing. You know that uh, you know, you're cooking and, and like the lid is just simmering and shaking. That's that right now. <laughs> just you know what? Just turn it down a little bit. All right. You know what? We, we can talk about Garland later. I'm okay. trying not to get frustrated. Because you look at Con- okay, you know what? No, 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 I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this right now. I'm not doing this right now. Just gonna turn you down to four. Okay, I'm not All gonna right. do this right now. Not gonna we'll, do this right we'll, now. We'll, we'll we'll turn the pot back on. All right, just a little bit. Okay. All right, we'll get to some more text messages. Uh, a lot of them coming in here. <laughs> Calgary. Uh, this one says Juleson directs WestJet flight Calgary to Abbotsford. Uh, right. Poor Noor Juleson. Tough for him. Um, uh, Mark Friedman as well. We can talk about the depth on the blue line. Like as much as yes, fatigue was a big factor. Also, you saw with some guys being injured, some guys playing up the lineup or getting into the lineup, having some struggles, and what that tells you about the team and what other options they have. And we'll get to that coming up as well. A lot of comments on that. But let's go to the phone boards, and we have our friend Details in Nanaimo on the line. Details. What's going on man good start to the season not a great game but uh it's been a fantastic start to the season so far no i'm not too worried about that man everybody gets tired you're talking about time zones and this that and the other you're uh, <laughs> you're ready to pop there over garland eh? uh, um, it's just it's just certain things that that frustrate me but i'm, I'm trying not to you know not let not i'm, I'm just well, trying not here's to here's the thing I'm, I'm i'm rattled <laughs> i'm really rattled right now <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> no, before I get into uh, before I get into what I what I want to get into, we talked about uh, or well, he talked about you know wanting to be traded and this that, and then he's played kind of sharp. And do you think they change angles on that? Before I get into what I wanted, quick answer: Do you think they're changing angles on wanting to trade him, or does tonight put him back into the into the doghouse potentially? I think that I don't know if he's in a doghouse or not. I just think that it's hard to move his contract regardless. Mm-hmm. And I think if there was a trade that they would could have done they would have done it by now and i don't think they they put that aside if something comes along that they like i don't think they're going to be afraid of doing it i feel the same way hey couple things you guys know that meme of the guy in the front row at like a wwe event just munching popcorn like wiling out going crazy so tell me that wasn't reach at the beginning of the second when Mangiapane and DiGiuseppe <laughs> were going battling it out at the face i'm like yo somewhere reach yo is flipping out watching um hey Hockey night in Canada. Are they are they not paying Randeep Janda? Like, what's this guy selling soda pop at the game yesterday? Oh, what, what is this? He does a, it all, man. He, he does, does it, all. it all. He's an entrepreneur as well. He's got a dud soda brand. So it's you know the, the man does oh, oh, is, is it a dud? I thought it was no, dude, dude, but dude. it was spelled oh, wrong. But maybe it's soda, a dud. Soda. I'm, I'm not dude saying soda, you guys soda. said dud, not dude. me. No, no, you guys right. called it a dud. That's my bad. That's my bad. Dude soda. My bad. My bad on that. No, as as a guy who's in the entrepreneurial clothing business, I love to see people doing their things. So shouts out to Randeep on that. Guys, I've, I've had a lot of fun. I listen to every minute. I'm really busy right now. I got a food truck going on. We got tours going on in the spring. But I've been listening to every moment. You guys hold it down like no other. Shouts out to uh, Sportsnet 650. And these guys are fine. They're tired. They get a mulligan tonight. Uh, I'll check in with you again soon. And someone check in on Reach. That was an Italian overload at the beginning yeah. of the second period. <laughs> yeah. No question. Have a good night, gentlemen. Great stuff. Thank, thank you. That's details in Nanaimo calling in. All right. Uh, we'll get to more of your phone calls. 
calls and more of the text messages. Uh, Connor Garland, the topic of conversation in the text inbox. This one here says, uh, could have been a different game if they called that four-minute high stick when Garland was cut. Yeah, he did take a stick to the face, and that should have been called. It was a missed call by the officials. I don't think it was the cleanest game by the officials by any means, uh, really. It's just hard to be looking at one of these games and... And being overly frustrated with officiating when we know there were bigger issues in terms of where the Canucks found themselves. But nonetheless, considering how good the Canucks power play has been, you imagine if you get another power play chance and maybe they call that and it's a four minute uh, double minor. Who knows? Maybe it's a different hockey game. So I understand that text message as well. All right. We'll get to more of your text messages. And we are going to hear from head coach Rick Tockett. He has an update on Andre Kuzmenko. We'll get to that and more after a 5-2 Canucks loss in Calgary against the Flames right here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. 50 seconds left in the second period. Rasmus Anderson with it, left side. Goes rink wide to the right boards for Elias Lindholm. Forced behind the Vancouver net by McKayev. Lindholm gets it around to the left point for Blake Coleman off the bench. Now to Noah Hannafin, right side. Charging wide, tries to go back into forehand, he scores! Pedersen let Noah Hannafin get around him at the side of the goal, and the Flames make it 3-1 with 35 seconds left in the second. And that was a tired Canucks line as Calgary was able to change on the fly. And Elias Pedersen, Tyler Myers, Ian Cole, and Ilya Mikheyev on the ice for over a minute there. Canucks lose 5-2 in Calgary against the Flames, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Um, and we are going to get to head coach Rick Tockett in just a moment, but a lot popping off in the text inbox here tonight, Bick. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Usually uh, for a home game, we get people saying, hey, I was at the game, had a mm-hmm. blast. Jay in Calgary texting in, was at the game, not a great effort, can't win them all. Happy to see a good team again, regardless. Uh, Jay in Calgary uh, texting in, Josh and Mission, uh, they should get Hirose back in the mix. He's at least reliable enough to play legit minutes. Juleson does not or didn't look like an NHLer tonight. That is Josh in Mission texting in. Uh, and this one, uh, Jesse's already uh, Team Tank. Who are you guys picking? <laughs> Celebrini one. <laughs> so you have number two. Hey, knowing Jesse, tongue is planted firmly in cheek. <laughs> but yes, uh, 100%, we get it. Uh, no, I mean, Colin Caribou, is that hangry? No, I'm not hangry, okay? I did eat before before the game. Well, during the game, I had food. I had yeah. plenty of sushi he's, tonight. He's, he, he was simmering. I'm, I'm, I'm simmering. I'm not, it's not Monday, so it's not the menu men, uh, Monday menu, but you're, you're, you're simmering. But I do know what I'm sending back to the kitchen. I'll tell you that much. All right. Uh, we'll get back to more. That for free? <laughs> yeah, we'll tell you that for free. Uh, last night was so fun. Tonight, not as much in terms of uh, mm-hmm. the, the victory, not being there for the Vancouver Canucks. But we'll get to more of your text messages. But we mentioned the head coach, Rick Tockett. Here he is, meeting with the media after a 5-2 loss in Calgary. Score first, and it seemed like it good moments in the forecheck in the first period, but in the second period, they, they took over. You feel like you lost your legs? Yeah, a little tired. I think we were tired. It caught up to us. But, you know, like, you, you know, said about the game, you know, so they didn't quit. You know, I got no problem. Um, 
but you got to learn how to play tired. You know, you got to play manage the puck a little bit more. That we, you know, sometimes you got to play tired, better angles, protect the middle, live for other shifts. Can't hit a home run every shift, and I think that's our our downfall tonight. As much thing playing these coming back as playing last night at home. Yeah, just it, it catches up. I mean, every, all teams go through it. There's a part of the schedule. I think it, it, the time zones and stuff have caught up. Um, but like I said, I thought you know if we just could have hung around there when it's two to one and just kind of waited out. Um, you know, then you just a couple of big mistakes and that's in there now. Shuffling the lines there in the third, just trying to get something going. Yeah, trying to get some juice. You know, I just felt. Uh, was stagnant, so you just try to throw, you know, do the old blender once in a while, see if it works. What do you think of Carlson? I thought he was pretty good. He almost scored at the end. He had a couple of wraparounds, yeah. But I, from what I heard down there, he's been playing really well down there. So it's, it's good that he got a taste. You weren't here pregame, but update on Kuzmenko and or Suter? Kuzi's feeling good. You know, he's a good possibility for Saturday. Uh, Suits uh, is still day-to-day. I'm not sure about Saturday. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. So uh, he mentions day-to-day. That's big relief for Kuzmenko, yeah. uh, given the, the, the nature of, of how he reacted to that puck to the face. So uh, if he's uh, available for Saturday, that's a big one. That is big. And uh, considering how much distress he looked to be in uh, when he first took that puck to the face last night, it's 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 really good to know that he, he is generally all right and could be back into the lineup uh, as soon as Saturday against the Seattle Kraken. Um you know, the coach mentioned they didn't quite have it tonight mm-hmm. in terms of their overall game. But I like what he said of, like, okay, like you're going to be playing tired sometimes. It, it, it's going to happen. But, okay, how do you play tired? Yeah. You have to learn how to play tired mm-hmm. and manage the puck better. And going back to what he said pregame, play safe. There's a way to, to, to play the game. Like, you, you still have to go do your job. You still have to go try to get two points. And I like that he harped on the idea that you can just play with better angles. If, yeah. you, if you're not going to be skating as much tonight just because you are tired, simplify the game, play safer, and manage the puck. And, and you think of all these opportunities throughout the course of that game. Uh, there were moments where they gave the puck away. You know, we, we talked about Juleson. We talked yeah. about Friedman. You know, even um, uh, the Huberto goal. You know, the, the, that's Hironic just trying to throw the puck up the middle and it gets batted down and not exactly a lot of urgency to get back in the play and prevent something. And Coleman, and, and I really like Blake Coleman. He, he competes so hard. He ties up Hironic along the boards and there it is. Back then gets there, fires to Huberto and, and you have that little bit of urgency or you're playing smarter, you're probably back in time. But that sort of stuff, it's it's that lethargy that came into their game of just, oh, I'll just fling it up the middle and, and see what happens. Uh, that sort of stuff starts, starts creeping in and suddenly everyone's kind of just untethered and center of the ice gets exposed. Yeah, and you know, um, I think for as much as like somebody asked, was this a schedule loss? I don't know if I believe in schedule losses because teams will overcome and win those things sometimes. What it is, it's a tough game schedule-wise. Absolutely. right. I think it played a big part into mm-hmm. them not having it. And When you point, lose, you can call it a schedule Yeah, loss. exactly. When you win, you're like, hey, we look at us. We have the energy. So it's, it's one of those things where you can find ways to win those games. It was a hard one to win always because of the schedule, mm-hmm. absolutely. So that played a part into it. But I do think the Canucks were exposed when it comes to some of their depth on the back end. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the mistakes. If Friedman and Juleson don't make those mistakes... 
maybe it's a different game. Like it's it's closer. Two one three two one, one, one. Maybe it's a bit two, different. Yeah. Maybe a bit closer in. Right. And that's that's something that does matter. Like Mack and Penticton says this duo of Jules and Friedman cannot last. And yes, they're split up, but they they both struggle a lot. And I don't disagree with that. And I think tonight was a, an example of how much can you trust these guys and how much can the coach lean on these players anyways? Because even though, you know, the coach kind of did wave the white flag a little bit uh, in that third, you know, Friedman played 11-45 and Jules played 15-12. And if that game wasn't kind of out of reach, they'd probably play even less in that game, for instance. Do we start seeing them make different decisions? Because I don't know how long you can keep run, running those guys out there, especially right now when Susie's not going to be back anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be, you know, five, six, seven, eight weeks before he's back. Don't you have to bring somebody else up now to, to give them a chance here, a lefty defenseman, and not to have two righties? And this is the difference between limiting the minutes of someone like Tyler Myers that we saw earlier in the season yeah. and limiting the minutes of these two players here. There is at some point an upside to Tyler Myers that you, you know what the best version of it can be. And to be honest, for the past three weeks, We've seen a significantly improved Tyler Myers over those three games when there was turnovers and all those issues, penalties, and he got limited to 13 minutes. Well, Tyler Myers has greatly improved. He's been shouted out by um, Rick Tockett. And he knew like, the minutes were going to stabilize, and tonight it's 22 mm-hmm. to 37. And he can, he can carry that load and still give you a, a, a decent night out. There's clearly not a lot of trust to try to get to 15 minutes for Mark Friedman and Noah Juleson. Yeah. And this is where it really starts to show out and say, yeah, we're limiting your minutes, but you still got to be effective. Like, how do you earn the trust to get to 13, 14 minutes? It's not there right now. And a night like tonight is not encouraging at all. And so I understand the texters earlier saying, yeah, Hiroshi's got to come back in because he's talked about uh, a high IQ player who can fit certain styles uh, that they want to play, I would absolutely understand if Rose got called up and went back into the lineup because you're right. It is five weeks. you, you got to be able to solve the problem of doling out the minutes because right now uh, these two guys just don't look like they're going to be able to get 15 minutes. Yeah, and you can, you can talk about trades all you want, but they're not easy to make. Mm-hmm. And... You're probably better off, at at least in the short term, exploring the other options you have, whether it's Hirose, whether it's Willannon, whoever else. you got to bring one of those guys up. And I think it was also evident on that play Friedman makes on the first goal where he pinches in and gets caught. He's playing the left side as a righty defenseman, Mm -hmm. and and the puck gets past him alongside the boards. If he's a lefty making that play... His, his his blade is facing the boards, which means he can seal that a lot better and make that play. He's laid on it to begin with. He's going in with his right hand. The puck gets through him, and it goes the other way. The coach talks about he doesn't like having guys playing, playing their offside. You can't have a guy of that caliber playing his offside. When you see those types of mistakes happen, those reads, also the handedness being an issue, and I think that costs the team there. So uh, I, I would like to see them bring up a lefty here for Saturday's game and perhaps send one of these guys down. And we'll see what they do with Susi and LTIR, which could open up so, some room as well. But you have 23 players on the roster, and, and that's the bigger challenge too. When You have to make room for these guys if you want to put somebody else in. Uh, Liam texting in, tough to go six weeks without Susi. I think Canucks have to look into acquiring a D-man right now. Now, this is the thing that we talked about earlier on Canuck Central when I joined you and Dan is the fact that they have these 25 points already in the bank. You don't have to approach this from a, a state of panic. If this was this time last year, yeah, it would be a bit of a five alarm fire. And you saw that they went and got Ethan Bear yeah. in November just to try to remedy something. 
I don't know if you have to go approach it this way. You can still try to solve the the issue internally. Yeah, it's six weeks. I, I don't expect it will be the thing that submarines your season or anything like that. Yeah. But because you got 25 points in 17 games that are already in the bag, you can approach this a lot more rationally without letting emotion and, and hope and desire get confusing the elements of the, of the equation. So they can just approach this and say, another 10 days – Maybe we can get a couple more minutes out of these guys. Rosa comes in. Yeah. Maybe that's an internal solution. But I think you're trying to solve this internally because you have those points banked up. Yeah. And then after that, obviously, we'll see what, what unfolds. And Ethan Bear, he's got to get fully healthy. And when he comes back, how long is it going to take for him to get up to speed? These if he signs that, in Vancouver. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the thing. If he signs, when he signs, how long until he gets up to speed, there's no imminent help coming. The guys who are available via trade are the Zadorov types, and we went through this before that, hey, if you want to make trades for these players, you can, but you have to pay a premium. And are you paying a, paying a second-round pick or higher for rentals on the back end? I don't think the Canucks can play in that pond. You know, I don't think so. I think what the Canucks have to do is, if you're acquiring somebody, it has to be somebody who's going to fit here long-term if you're giving up something meaningful. Like we talked about, would the Canucks maybe do Hoaglander for Tanev? Sure, but is Calgary parting with... Tanev in the division for Hoaglander? Do they want more, for instance? And are you willing to pay a first or a second round pick to acquire a rental defenseman? I don't think that's a smart thing to do. And I think most people agree with that. That help, as much as it's easy to say they should go and explore it via trade, I don't think anything is imminent at this point. And Canucks have their own uh, salary cap woes right now. We actually asked our listeners to do some homework last night. Uh, very rare for us to send people away to do homework. Uh, it's supposed to be fun, but sometimes he, you know we, we challenge. It, it, I've seen like we, we've all seen the reports, you know, Zadorov and Tanev yeah. and whatnot. Uh, but it doesn't have to be just those guys because the Hronik one came out of left field last year, yeah. right? It was off the radar. So we, we we see the names that are listed as available. What other players do you see around the league that kind of pique your interest? And Bo texting in, do you trade Beauvillier in a first for Colton Pareko out of St. Louis? Now, St. Louis is doing decent uh, so far to start the season, uh, although they're getting waxed by San Jose of all teams. San Jose tonight. Come, you know, they're turning it around. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Um, number but, one. That's not the profile of, of type of player I, I want to see the Canucks take on. No, number one. If you're trading Bavillier, uh for Pareko, you're gonna, you're going to have a real hard time keeping Pedersen. Well, Pedersen you'll keep, mm-hmm. but you're going to have a hard time being able to sign uh, Heronic if you're adding Pareko and his massive contract to the books mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's 6.5 all the way until... I think 2029. So the Canucks essentially, if let's say they sign Pedersen and Heronic to contracts combining up to 19 million. Sorry, 2030. 2030. So basically, uh, say bye to OEL, say hi to new OEL. <laughs> I mean, you know, somebody texted in and said the OEL deal is the worst in franchise history, worse than the Cam Neely trade. Random text on the Danny, game 17. Danny and, and Pender Harbor said that, but it, it ties into the Pareko thing. And I think Pareko can be a good player. Just my, like OEL can be a good player. Is it worth the commitment? Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. And especially if you're not getting money off the books. I'm not, I'm not saying I would do this trade, but... The only way you can maybe talk yourself into that type of trade is if you're actually moving Garland the other way. Because then you're moving out the $5 million on the books next year and the year afterwards, and that offsets a big chunk of what Pareko's owed. But if you're taking rid, if you're trading Pavilier, it eats up so much of your cap space without sending any money out. Uh, it's unfortunately is too much. And has I just don't know if he's good enough for are, it anyways. Are, are we officially calling it the OEL trade? I feel like Sat wants to call it the Garland trade. Why, why are you doing this? <laughs> That because you're angry. Because you're angry. Poking the bear repeatedly. 
I don't, I don't know, man. I, I, I want to read some Garland texts here coming in. 650, 650. Uh, Keith, Garland has been this team's best player the last four games. He gets to make one mistake. Best, he's been the team's best player? Uh, this one, break. Rob and Victoria. Garland definitely didn't lose the game for them, but he can't take a penalty there. Also, uh, why was he even out there? Should have been Heronic instead. Uh, he didn't lose the game for them. Uh, this one, uh, Trey Nanaimo. Seems like Garland gets elevated up the lineup all the time. I feel like Hoaglander deserves a better opportunity. Uh, he doesn't seem to get trusted by the coach. Trey in Nanaimo. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here or anything like that, right? And listen, I don't want to spend too much time on Connor Garland, but one of the reasons why people mention that he's been one of the Canucks' best players is because his analytics, oh, his analytics look fantastic, don't they? I mean, even tonight, let's look at his analytics. Let's go look at this game here that Connor Garland played in. And his analytics, I'm sure, were fantastic. How many Canucks had better analytics tonight than Connor Garland did? It's a broad term. Just to say, just like, who had better analytics than tonight? By what measure do you want I'm to saying by, 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 the, by, by the shot metrics, he was the Canucks, what, best winger tonight? By, by the shot metrics, uh, right? Actually, yeah, he was. So he was the Canucks' best winger tonight by the shot metrics, No, hang on. Right? Sam Lafferty uh, by Corsi was 48.15%. Uh, uh, Linus Carlson, 46.43. Dakota Joshua, 45%. Elias Pettersson, 45%. Connor Garland at 42%. Yeah, n- not great, <laughs> but, I mean, better than other players on the team. And you know why those numbers look even better in comparison to yeah. uh, numbers of his teammates? I counted at least four instances where he gets a zone entry and then from the blue line throws the weakest shot you can imagine towards the goaltender. The goaltender freezes it or just knocks it away to a Flames player who takes it out of his own zone. He goes off for a change. But guess what? That's a zone entry. That's a shot. It's great for your Corsi. It's great for your microstats of getting the zone entry. But what are you truly accomplishing? Like how many Most times- high danger chances tonight. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev, Pedersen, and Garland tied for three. I'm just saying, facts only. Fair enough, but I'm just saying it's one of those things where when people wonder why can't he play with star players, that's why. Because he's a puck stopper, and he will throw a lot of shots at net from bad angles, which is fine in terms of, hey, listen, you're getting out of your own zone, you're gaining zone entries, and you're keeping the puck away from your own end. But what you're doing is taking away so many chances for your teammates to do stuff with the puck, especially when you have high-level teammates. And I just can't understand when people get frustrated that he doesn't play in the top six. He's better off playing on the third line. Like, I don't want to have Pedersen's winger come in out off the blue line and throw the weakest backhand sauce possible from the wall by the blue line to the goaltender. Like, that's useless. Like, that's why he can't be playing in your top six. And I get because of injuries, but I'd much rather you throw just Lafferty out there instead of him. Just let him go and do his spins on the third line. I think you texted into the show. It's unsigned here. Garland sure leaves me wanting more on a lot of nights here. Seems like when the team isn't playing well, uh, he really stands out in the wrong ways. Unsigned, but uh, 604 area code, maybe from SAT. No, I'm not texting in. I'm not texting in at all. I'm not. (laughs) Uh, This person, person, you guys always talking trades. Listen, we're we're just responding to people mentioning trades. They're asking about the back end. What are they going to do? And, and you know that's all we're mentioning. And we're saying it's going to take time if those trades are going to happen. But if you look at our text inbox, how big a portion of it is people texting in about how can they, who can they get, what guys can they go after, how can they improve this blue line? It's a huge part of the conversation. Garland the grindstone. Coach has a grudge with him from Arizona days. Uh, details uh, texting in after the call, doubling up here. Scoring twice so far. Details uh, sat out here stuttering like Bobby Boucher. Mama, 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 mama said Garland's overrated. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. 
Uh, well, man. Mama was wrong. <laughs> she was wrong. It's the Madula <laughs> Oblongata. <laughs> Uh, give Sat some food. He's, he's really, I'm not hangry. Okay. I'm not hangry. I ate a lot of sushi. I'm full. I'm good. I'm not hangry. I'm just perturbed. That's all. And I, like I said, like I said, I didn't want to do this about Garland because there are other things to talk about. It's not that bad. It's just a pet peeve of mine. That's all. Uh, agree with Sat. Garland's third best, or sorry, his best as a third line puck carrier and playmaker. 650, 650. Uh, all right. Again, some other ones that uh, some homework. Uh, Hussein from Coquitlam. We're reading the homework text tonight. Yeah, do your work. Uh, everybody's talking about trading for Zadorov or Tanev. I'd like to, like to see him trade for a tier, a D man, a tier below that, similar to Bogosian or the Kalen Addison trades that we've seen recently. A depth guy who has experience playing eighty two would be a huge upgrade over Juleson and Friedman. Hussein from Coquitlam. You know, honestly, I gotta disagree. I, I think you got to go to the other way and swing higher than what we saw from Bogosian or Kalen Addison. I agree. Just because where you're at, and when we touched on this earlier on Canuck Central, when the three of us were doing it, the round table, because of the season that the team is having, if you can fight, find the right framework, and don't get me wrong, that they are difficult to find, but if you can find someone that's going to provide you service years, and, and we're getting a lot of questions of or text about, no, you can't do a rental. I agree. Cannot explore the rental market. This team just does not have enough bullets unless it's something that, that falls into your lap and you free up cap space and it's a minimal cost. Absolutely, you can't do a rental. But if, if you went high end, and look, they're, they're hard to find, but they found Philip Ronick, And you got another credible top four D-man that like at some point Ian Cole is going to depart, right? He's he's not young. You're, you're mm-hmm. not getting a lot of years out of Ian Cole. But if you found another solution that stays in your top four for some time, that that to me is the more intriguing move. And and I think that's and I honestly think that's where the organization's at. That I'm sure they're going to be exploring a lot of different things and mm-hmm. even rental markets depending on what the price is. But if they're giving away anything significant long term, it's going to be for somebody who's going to fit here long term. And not just for somebody who's going to be a third line guy or a guy who's going to be on your third D pair. Jim Rutherford himself has spoken about we need depth to withstand injuries to our best players. He's not talking about a third liner or a f- number five or six defenseman. How do you have depth to withstand big injuries having more big time players? And is there, are there avenues for them to add those players, even if it costs you something? If there are, I don't think you can be against doing so, and that's what I expect them to explore. Just one of those things, again, for all the trade talk and the questions. It's hard to pull off. You have to be patient, and don't expect anything today or tomorrow. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, don't worry, Sad. I really enjoyed uh, the rant. That one's from Lee. In Langley. Uh, Jared in Langley. Sat sounds like a guy who drank too much, didn't sleep enough last night. I did not drink. I didn't sleep enough, but I did not drink. We were working yesterday. Busy. I, was, I, was, I didn't get yeah. home until like midnight. Uh, Ramsey and Langley, uh, it's bound to happen. Cox, we're going to lose in regulation. I hope this game provides the team with the feeling of a loss that they don't enjoy. Diversity will prove in their next game to how they respond with the cushion they have provided themselves. They are allowed a mulligan. And look, it just goes to the point we were making earlier that uh, it does feel like Cox fans... Uh, uh, giving them somewhat of the benefit of the doubt so far uh, through 17 games. Hey, hey, I'm giving them the benefit of doubt personally in terms of having Watson's play so far this season. We've spoken about areas of their game that can improve, and we'll talk about that on the other side as about, well, where they can grow. And, and honestly, when you watch this game and also analyze how the Canucks were at their best and why it looked the way it did, 
I think it tells us a lot of things and why this team really can't afford to have many nights where that juice isn't there for them. We saw that tonight, a lack of it in a 5-2 loss against the Flames. All right, we'll come back and break down the game some more, get some of your thoughts from the text inbox and the phone boards. Plus, we'll hear from Canucks players post-game on the home of Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Smith out of the goal, near corner, Verona. Played it ahead for Patterson, batted it to the blue line, can't get it out. Coleman's got it behind the Vancouver net. His centering pass was blocked by DeSmith's stick. Now Backlund throws it out front for Hooper, no side of the goal, he scores! Jonathan Huberdo had gone 11 games without a goal, but he beats DeSmith in tight, and it's 4-1 Calgary. Yeah, a little tired. I think we were tired and caught up to us. But, you know, like, you, you know, said about the game, you know, so they didn't quit. You know, I got no problem. Um, but you got to learn how to play tired. You know, you got to play manage the puck a little bit more. That we, you know, sometimes you got to play tired, better angles, protect the middle, live for other shifts. Can't hit a home run every shift, and I think that's our, our downfall tonight. Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-2 loss in Calgary against the Flames. The Canucks started off well. one nothing lead on the power play, staying red hot, absolutely scorching, scoring, making easy work of the Calgary Flames' fourth-ranked PK to make it one nothing. But that is as close as the Canucks were on the evening. From that point on, it was pretty much all Calgary until the Canucks got one more tally from Niels Hoaglander in the third period. But at that point, the game already out of reach and a final score of 5-2. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. The coach mentioned you have to learn how to play tired and puck management. You can't try to hit home runs all the time. And I think Rafe is getting to that a bit with Quinn Hughes, who we've been talking about, had a really tough night, and and Rafe says Hughes was bad tonight. I love him, but he can't always be a superhero. I like to see him make better and simple decisions sometimes. I think the next level of maturity in his game will incorporate another level of decision-making. Sometimes a simple play is a right play. Having said that, five games, seven nights, plus tra- crazy travel. They didn't have their legs and some key injuries. And too bad Petey didn't get a second early would have given them extra juice. That is Rafe texting in his thoughts about the game. I don't disagree that decision-making at times. I, I'm just I, I one of those points when I watch Quinn Hughes that Anytime a guy makes a mistake, it's easy to say, well, you can make you can make better decisions, you can do that. It's going to happen, man, where mm-hmm. a guy who plays as much as he does and handles the puck as much as he does is going to have games where it doesn't all come together. Every single player who's great will have moments like that. Is there something to be said, though, about certain times in games where the team is trying to gain that maturity of make better decisions that he himself can also do that? Or was it just simply fatigue being the issue tonight and not overthinking it? Uh, I'm a big fan of just let Quinn cook. Yeah, I don't disagree. Right? Don't it, disagree. You don't get the reward of days like yesterday without, okay, the odd game like tonight. It winds up being a dash three, Pedersen a dash four tonight uh, as well. But I'm willing to extend a bit of leniency to a couple of guys leading the league in scoring. I know that's a hot take, but... I'm, I'm okay with just seeing, chalking this one up as a bad game, tired, 
if it continues, sure, okay, then we can adjust and have a different conversation. Uh, but anything beyond of, oh, just a bad game for Quinn. And they're tired. I, I, I think is only for hyperbole. Yeah, I think. Uh, I will say, though, watching this team tonight and not having Pew Suter, who I think has been a real big player mm-hmm. for them in the bottom six, Teddy Bluger tonight, he struggled too. He, uh, to be honest, he hasn't looked great since coming back, and it's because he missed a lot of time. He's going to play himself in. It's going to take a little bit of time for him to get up to speed. Winds up going 65% on the draw tonight. That's strong. Good in the mm-hmm. face-off circle, but I don't think we've seen anything near what Teddy Bluger truly can bring. So we're still probably seven to ten games away. Yeah. It's like Susie when he came back. It took yeah. him a while, and then finally it was like, oh, towards the end, he looked really good, and then unfortunately he got injured. I'd, I'd expect a similar timeline for Luger and his yeah. impact. Susie was just looking so steady. And, and you can see Rick, Rick Talk has mentioned this, that he's got a very specific role, a very yeah. specific idea of what he thinks Teddy Bluger can do. Get your feet going under you. Get up to game speed. Catch up to the rest of the league and your teammates. And then you can. I think you might be able to see the the best version of what they had envisioned for Teddy Bluger. But yeah, it's gonna, probably going to take seven games here. We're we're, we're three in. Yeah. No, I, that stuff takes time, and I think it's fine. But you're seeing the difference in Teddy Bluger and where he's at versus where Pew Suter was at, mm-hmm. and that was noticeable here tonight. Not having Carson Susie in a game like this where fatigue sets in, I think that was very noticeable. His absence as well tonight, and obviously not have, having Andre Kuzmenko in the top six and. We talked about how when Mikheyev came back, it allowed the roster to fall in place better because Garland was now able to go down to the third line. He was able to settle in with Suter and, and have his own identity there. And all of a sudden, there was more effectiveness in the top six. Tonight, too, again, you take Garland off that line. Suter's not playing there. No Kuzmenko. And you saw kind of the cascading effects on the team. And fatigue was a main issue. But when a couple pieces aren't in place, it makes it harder for this team to be as successful. And when they're not able to have four lines that are as effective with how they're constructed, they're going to have a harder time to establish their forecheck. And that, in turn, makes them easier to play against. People mention how they were soft at times. I'm not sure they were soft. They just weren't contesting plays the way we had seen with the same energy and discipline they had shown so far this season. And when you see that not be there, they can look very average like they did tonight. And it just goes to show how big of an impact having some key players in right spots are and also being on top of your game, discipline and effort-wise, which clearly wasn't there tonight, whether it was fatigue or not. Obviously, we're getting a lot of commentary about, hey, what changes they have to make on the back end here in the short term. Going into Saturday, do you make any changes in the front end? Not necessarily about players coming out of the lineup, but does Beauvillier move up instead of Garland to go? So, uh, well, obviously, he did mention Kuzmenko uh, could play, but... I'd rather move Beauvillier up, yes. Yeah. I, at this point, I'd rather have Garland, and I'm not going to do the rant again, and like this one, this unsigned text here says, Sat might need to learn how to work tired, given <laughs> uh, <laughs> given how he's... Somebody else, I don't know what's making Sat emotional. I, I'm not emotional. I'm, Sat I, took a day off this week. What about me, man? Yeah, yeah. Shoot. Yeah. No, I, I took a day off early this week. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just... Like I don't I know why said, it's coming all high and whiny and anti-analytics, but I'm fine. I'm fine. He's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. I like analytics. I'm just saying. Nonetheless, yes, I'm getting. You don't like Connor Garland's analytics. <laughs> I just this is this is context, man. Anyways, um, now you got me all. I don't like, know. Like, why are we doing this? Anyways, um, I, I would say though, in general, because we have fun. <laughs> I would say though. Having Kuzmenko back was going to make a big difference, mm-hmm. but I would just keep Garland with Suter 
And I would prefer to have Bavillier up there with Pedersen and Mikheyev, or even Sam Lafferty. Yeah. But now you have him playing center. I'd rather have Hoaglander up there than I would have Garland right now. I'd I'd rather be able to have that third line with Garland be able to solidify something for me instead of moving him up to the top six. One of the reasons I was kind of intrigued why Garland got the bump up today is like the suitor Garland Joshua line has been so good. Now it's yeah. getting broke. Uh, broken up tonight anyways because Suter is out so maybe you just move Garland up but I, you know, I do subscribe to the theory of why change two things when you can just change one so if a healthy Suter is there do you just keep Suter Joshua Garland because they have been effective and it's yeah. in the role Garland can have success he handles the puck and he, he's a third line playmaker that's the right role and even you wouldn't complain about that but when you take a guy off the line it, it's like the offensive line problem of if there's an injury do you take the guy from the right side to the left side and yeah. you have two backups going or do you just say live with the one we'll figure out the one problem and Bovillier goes with uh, Patterson and McKay so obviously for Saturday a problem we probably won't have to look at but injuries are going to happen over the course of the season so it's going to be a conversation throughout the course of the season is when this materializes again and there's an injury in the top six how do they try to solve the problem I I personally would just say things that are working why break up something that's working to go solve two new issues I don't disagree with that I wonder though the coach has mentioned Pedersen is playing through some stuff Mm -hmm. did he feel like he needed a higher caliber player with that line because Pedersen may not be 100%. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, it's ridiculous to even be having this discussion to some degree. He had another goal tonight. He had another point. He still leads the National Hockey League in scoring. But just by the eye test, he doesn't look 100% right. Even the shot when he gets it off doesn't quite look like it's the same right now. Like, Is he dealing with something upper body-wise? Is he dealing something with his with one of his hands or something? Like, who knows whatever it is. But is that a reason why maybe the coach wants to give him some more support for the time being? Certainly. You know, that, yeah. that could be a part of it as well, right? And uh, you need to have those guys going. And tonight, nobody was really going for this Canuck squad. And that's kind of why they found themselves in a bit of a tough position. Ryan and Shimanas, a high satin bit. Canucks lost their passing uh, their passing possession game tonight. Passive giveaways to Calgary all game long. So frustrating. It is frustrating when you see how clean they can be and how connected they can be. Mm-hmm. And that connectivity wasn't there. Another thing I wanted to mention, because you brought this up too. Calgary didn't let Vancouver get off. It didn't allow them to get have, have clean breakouts. They were on top of the outlets. That's something that's been happening a lot. We saw it even happen uh, the other night against the Islanders. We saw it even before that against the Ottawa Senators. We've seen it with other teams now, knowing how Vancouver is being affected with the breakout and how they have forwards back or, uh, along the wall inside the blue line for support. You're seeing the op- opponent be tougher or i'd say be more aware of those guys who close those Quicker plays down it, yep. and they're taking away those outlets oftentimes which i think is putting the defense in positions where they have to make more plays and instead of sometimes making the safe play which they actually showed a good job of doing against the islanders i thought when those things happen you saw them just flip the puck up and create 50 50s to go after tonight they didn't handle that as well a couple of giveaways we saw on their own end fatigue plays a part into it yet again bringing that up again but that's something else they have to work through here over the next next few games there is a template emerging as to how the opponent's now playing the Vancouver Canucks and how are they going to be able to break through that. And that's going to be an ongoing thing they have to figure out. Uh, it's something that they dealt with in the first period of Montreal and adjusted uh, as that game went on. But yes, absolutely valid to, to keep an eye on how teams are attacking them in their zone when they have the puck now. Thing is, you don't notice as much because you know who handles the puck a great deal. 
Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick, right? They're so good at their retrievals. They're so good at their decision-making that these issues don't crop up with enough frequency. But now with Susie out of the lineup, it's, it's one extra person or one less person that can handle the puck and, and manage the pressure of it. And that's why the, you know, it, Friedman and Juleson kind of get the microscope put on them. But also, it means Tyler Myers has to handle the puck a lot more, significantly more. Uh, now Ian Cole's been pretty steady with it, but just things to keep an eye on uh, through these next six to eight weeks. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And it's one of those things too. Lee makes the point that it's, it's on the, the, it's, it is on the depth guys because the coaches can't trust them, which means the mm-hmm. guys like Hughes and Hronick have to play bigger minutes. And then in back to backs, they won't have a lot of energy. Puts them Cascading in that spot. Set of problems. And it, it's a chicken or the egg. Yeah. Oftentimes the way, the way you view it, but in one way or another, they're going to have to get more minutes from guys. But that's why my temperature isn't up right now because they have the points, right? It's, yeah. It's, if, well, if they were course, sitting here 500, if, if they were sitting here 500, it would be a big worry. Listen, they're going to lose games. Losses are going to happen. It's again how you respond. And again, now I'm I'm really interested in in what happens on Saturday mm-hmm. against the Seattle Kraken. That's the way I view this team. Instead of bemoaning the efforts and talking about bad trends and this is a bad hockey team that can't get out of its own way, we're looking at okay, how do you turn the page and move forward? How do you rectify the things that they that they have shown throughout other throughout the course of the season so far? They can rectify, and that's what I'm expecting to see here against the Seattle Kraken. Should I rattle through a couple more names that people have sent in? Yes, go ahead. Uh, so these are names of players the Canucks might or should look into acquiring on the, on the back end. The non-Zadorov Tanev grouping, yes. right? Because those names are obviously readily out there. And, and we ask, what other names are you keeping an eye on uh, across the league that you would be interested in? Uh, an unsigned texter sent in a trio of name here. One is Sean Dersey, Dante Fabro, and Ryan Pulak. All three coming in here. From one texter. Now, Sean Jersey was just freshly traded uh, to Arizona. So I'm not sure how uh, willing Arizona is going to be. And they're having their pretty good start themselves. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're doing it. Ryan Pulak, he's a good player. We saw him. He's had his struggles with the Islanders in general. Mm-hmm. But he is a good player. He's big. He moves well when he's on top of his game. Contractually, though. It's a pretty big commitment. Even though he is 29 years old, not the oldest, mm-hmm. but it's more about how many more years he's under contract. And his big long-term contract only kicked in last season. It's, it's all the way till 2030. It's tough. So it's like Pareko almost. It, 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 it's quite the large deal. Now, the other name in that, Dante Fabro, obviously people in this area are very familiar, would be on a list. If I'm making a short list, he'd be on the list. I don't know if he'd be high up on it. But certainly, some uh, a name to just be aware of, uh, because it, it, it hasn't been as clean uh, in Nashville for him, and there are some bodies there, and it is going to be pushed to a decision. I believe he's an RFA this summer, and he's probably more in the age range you want to target too. Yeah, twenty five years old, and yeah, it is an RFA this year, and and not a huge expense at two point five million. That would be an interesting name that I think would exist on the list. I don't know how high up the list is he is for me, but an interesting name to consider. Yeah, um, Aiden in Vancouver brought that up. Uh, Dante Fabro as well, and wondered uh, Bavillier and a third or something. I, I don't depends on what they're looking for. I think the, the the discussions with Vancouver and Preds in the past, and Elliot Friedman outlined this, maybe had centered around Garland and Fabro. Then Shen got injured, and he's not sure where they're at. That type of thing I would be open to. I just I'm just not sure what type of assets are you willing to give up, 
And what is... Do you have to do a sweetener or something? Yeah. What are the Preds looking for, for instance? But righty defenseman, you add it to the list, and something that would be more attainable and I think more realistic than some of these bigger bigger contracts. Uh, this text, I think Sat is the biggest, uh, biggest supporter for the Canucks right now. And I think other people are more supportive than I am of the Canucks, I'd say. A lot of people, man. B- uh, Paul Bissonette, all over him right now. Keeps calling him a wagon. People are all on board the Vancouver Canucks. The, you got Elliot Friedman calling him uh, Canada's best chance for a Stanley Cup. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, everyone's on board the Canucks wagon. Maybe not after tonight's game because of how they played. But I would say, you know, th- there is some frustration, but there isn't a lot of that, you know, real like, oh, I told you this team's going to suck. I think most mm-hmm. people understand, you know, you are going to lose some games or and whatever's going to happen here. But uh, I just think it's one of those things, too, where their top players have been so fantastic. Tonight, Pedersen scored, but you saw his game not be at the, at the level that you expect him to. Quinn Hughes making mistakes that you don't, you don't expect to see from him, right? Even JT Miller, we've been talking a lot about how good he's been. That line tonight, you know, if we talk about team, the line that sets sets the tone oftentimes, mm-hmm. they were not able to really establish much of a forecheck. And that's disappointing considering that's been a real staple for that line, Vic. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's odd on a night like tonight where we, we spent so much time talking the effectiveness of pdg but when the other two guys aren't really going you, you notice you know pdg is not really as effective either even though like he's still doing his thing it's it's straight lines it's trying to get on the four check but you see that he's not there to elevate the other two guys some nights as much as he tries to clean up some details but when those two guys are going he can help them but when they're not going it's it's you see the limitations a little bit uh, which is unfortunate, yeah, but, but it is. It, it's it's part of the to do list at some point. Uh, obviously, the demand's going to be on defense, but at some point, there's a improvement there. Acquiring another top six forward is part of, uh, I imagine, the long term team building process here for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford. One other text I want to get to, uh, and Rick Talkin mentioned his name as well. Uh, overall, what did you think of Linus Carlson's performance in his NHL debut? Tonight uh, for uh, 94, ends up playing 11.54, gets out there for the power play at the end of the game, almost scores it uh, as well. Uh, But first impressions of Linus Carlson. Uh, To be honest, didn't notice him a ton. Three shots on goal. Yeah, uh, got a couple of those shots late. Mm -hmm. Um, On the power play around the net. Like you saw late, like, that's what he's good at. He's mm-hmm. good around the net. He's got nice hands. He can battle for the puck. He's got a good frame. It's how he keeps up with the pace of the game. Now, to be fair, the entire team looked off the pace tonight, mm-hmm. so it's hard to sit here and say, hey, he looked off the pace any more or less than anybody else did tonight. It's hard for a guy like that in a game like this, I think, to get a proper evaluation. Didn't notice much of anything outside of that chance he had late. Of anything he had the one wraparound in the second period yeah. where he kind of battles through contact, forces it to the front of the net, kind of a sweeping shot, yeah. uh, which generates a rebound. Uh, look, through 11 minutes and 54 seconds tonight, if you're asking me, did he earn another look? Yeah, probably another look in hopefully a better contextual game that the, the other players are going. You can see how he can contribute when Errol is going. Uh, do I feel like there's a solution there or anything like that? No. But who's who comes out? I mean, it's, I mean, Kuzmenko's going to come back in. Hognine scored a goal tonight. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's coming out for Linus Carlson. Oh, I don't mean no. I'm just saying immediately. I just, I just, yeah. I mean, and who knows? I just wonder. The game is he the one that comes out most likely against Seattle? It's got to be right. Yeah, I would imagine. Can't be Hoglander. 
He didn't play more than Hoaglander tonight. Uh, well, yeah, he played five more seconds. Five. Well, he did. Okay, so they played about the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thirteen oh eight for eleven forty nine for for Hoaglander, and yeah. All right. I mean, I'd if, be now, if Hoaglander scored out. a goal tonight, yeah, uh, and I, more importantly, not even just scored a goal. Scored the goal in in this play that Rick Tocchi keeps talking about of hey get to that high slot get that shot pass redirect kind of play in uh, Myers puts it there and, and Hoaglander's on the spot to uh, redirect it they tried it a couple of times tonight Beauvillier had a chance yeah, yeah. A, a couple of shots at it in the first period so coaches has preference of a type of offense you want to generate Hoaglander did it I, I'd be st- Stunned if he came out of the lineup. I would be as well. So I think Linus Carlson is probably the most likely player to come out of the lineup here uh, against Seattle Kraken on Saturday. And I hope he gets another chance in a cleaner environment, like you said, mm-hmm. to get a better idea of what he can do. Because it's hard in a game like this, too, when especially a guy at, at his caliber trying to learn the NHL game all of a sudden for the first time is playing on a team where everybody's kind of behind the pace as much as they were. So I don't want to be uh, unfair to him and, and be too critical of the performance. It had some good moments, but really not a lot to be able to take away from this game. Honestly, five on five, like which skater did you think, or just which skater did you think actually had a strong game tonight? Connor Garland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking the bait. Uh, as far as forwards go, uh, or even or even even defensemen, even D men, I'm not sure anybody really had a strong night. I mean, I thought Ian Cole. Every time I saw him, he was fine. He made some good plays. Um, that just feels like every night. Yeah, I, I can't look at him like he had some moments where he cleared the net as well. I thought he moved the puck decently a couple times. I thought he had some decent moments. Um, outside of that, I just don't don't think anybody really acquitted themselves. You know, f- far too well, anyways. So yeah, I'm trying to think of someone that was just even like a six and a half out of ten. And Casey the Smith wasn't able to really make a big mm-hmm. save here tonight. No, 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 that's unfair. He made a couple big saves and was two one. He made a big save. Uh, the Canucks, however, did not wake up from that two one save and allowed the three one goal late in the second period. And he made a couple saves in the third actually when it was three two and the Canucks were made it. You know, the Canucks were kind of. In the mix there, all of a sudden, when it was 4-1 anyways, and Hoagnatter scored, they go on the power play, and there was a real chance. There was 9.40 left in the game at that point, and you know they get off the power play real quick with the Carter Garland minor, and the next thing you know, uh, that, that chance is away. So even in a game where they had nothing, it seemed like a couple instances where they had some opportunities to do stuff. Their best player tonight might be someone that was like absence of negatives. That's really about it. Because even Sam Lafferty, like, oh, had a, oh, he had a couple of bad giveaways in the first. Sam Lafferty had an assist, but yeah, there were some giveaways in the first. I'm just trying to look, I think maybe Bovillier or Joshua, basically. Yeah, and that's really about it. That's about it. Like it, was, like it wasn't a game you could single anybody mm-hmm. out. And I challenge people in our, t- or in our text inbox to text in about who they thought actually had a strong game. You know, and I don't think you saw a ton of that. All right, a lot of good reaction on the text inbox. Six fifty, six fifty. I'd love to have Gudis on this team. I think mm-hmm. you know you'd love to have a big physical defenseman. They're just very hard to. They acquire. were thrilled in Anaheim uh, to give Radical Gudis a three-year deal. This past summer. Yeah, the, the Anaheim Ducks that are off to a good start this season. Uh, unexpectedly so, I would say. All right, we'll get to more of your thoughts and your comments coming up on the other side. Uh, people asking about Tyler Myers. We can talk about him on the other side and also about some other options the Canucks have at their disposal. We'll hear from Niels Hoaglander plus Ian McIntyre is going to join us as we break down this 5-2 loss in Calgary. It's Satin Bick on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Here's Laffer behind the Calgary net, brings it out the right wing side, bottom of the circle to the line for Myers. Long shot, tip, they score! Neils Hoaglander in the slot, deflects it off the crossbar and in, and the Canucks get back to within two. Hoaglander makes it 4-2 to two with his fourth of the season. An excellent job here by Sam Lafferty to create possession in the offensive zone. Circles around the net and gets the puck out to Tyler Myers who doesn't hesitate. Sends a shot towards the net. And an excellent job by Niels Hoaglander to deflect the puck. Niels Hoaglander brought the Canucks within two in the third. Not enough. Canucks ultimately lose 5-2. In Calgary against the Flames. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 650 650. I didn't want anybody saying I'm hangry, so I crushed their protein bar in the break. <laughs> uh, I'll read the text here. Uh, a couple of texts for Tyler Myers saying best game uh, or best Canuck on the yeah, ice. We challenged it wasn't people. a liability. Uh, it equals a good game. No. The thing is. He was also on the ice for that Hannafin goal. Now, it's Pedersen that really gets walked, but Myers is also standing still in that goal. And yeah. It, it turns out being kind of the pivotal one in that game. There was a play where he threw a huge hit. Now, we could have maybe made a play on the puck to get it out, but he mm-hmm. threw the hit instead. It was a bit of a response physically after uh, Quinn Hughes was run over by Pospisil. And I think the team wanted to kind of wake up, and DeSmith made a big save. And we're like, wait, are you guys going to wake up here or, or what? And it seemed like Myers wanted to take that on, maybe overly aggressive, but... Yeah, just not good enough there for the Canucks, and ultimately they went down 3-1 in that sequence. This one says, Myers was good, seemed reliable, crushed a few people, seemed to play a bit of an enforcer role, is what the text message says. I will say on Myers, a guy who gets a lot of stick, and now it's for for good reason, too, over the years. He's had his share, fair share of struggles, and there's another level that he can certainly attain, even if he's not, he's not a real top four level guy. But up until tonight and recently, I don't think the coach uh, is just paying lip service when he says he's been one of the Canucks' best players, maybe slightly overstating the impact. But I would say that he's played some of his best hockey in the past couple years over this past seven, eight game stretch. I think that's a very fair way of putting it. Yeah, the, this three-week stretch has been nice. Again, tonight, probably a blip. And if you want to say he was the best player uh, tonight, I don't really have a big problem. But again, that one goal. But he, he's been significantly better these last three weeks. Uh, that Those first three games, he's completely rebounded uh, from. And you know his, his best stretch was probably the Brad Shaw year when uh, the, the assistant coach was in town. That was probably Tyler Myers' best year uh, during his Vancouver tenure. 300 games, by the way, uh, now for Tyler Myers. Yeah. Alongside uh, Quinn Hughes. Well, people say it takes 300 games for a defenseman to get good, so. <laughs> Wasn't that what they said about what Eric Branson and Ben Hutton back in the day? No? 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 Oh! Uh, not at age first, 33. Your first 300 yeah. games. Not the 300 games with the team I got. Yeah, it. not at age 33. Uh, but uh, Tyler Myers. I thought uh, I was onto something all of a sudden. Tyler Myers hits 300 games for the Canucks. Quinn Hughes had his 300th regular season game. JT Miller as well playing his 300th game uh, for uh, the Canucks uh, as well. Um, but yeah, the the year with Brad Shaw I think was was Myers' best year. And then so far through 17 games, uh, you know he's he's this is the version of of Tyler Myers you probably want to see. 
Yeah, it, more along these lines, mm-hmm. right? Like you want, and and I think he's been a lot better recently. And uh, I don't think the text messages are necessarily off the mark too much about him tonight. Uh, I'm not sure he wasn't necessarily good, but you can certainly make the case he was better than a number of Canucks defensemen and players in general tonight, especially the skaters. Uh, Smoke City FC on Twitter says, "I was at the game in Calgary tonight. Why did the 2022 Canucks have to show up? Not good enough to lose to the, both the Leafs and the Flames in the same month. Garland was awful. Why is he playing on PD's line? He should know." He should not play until he starts using a normal size stick. Is what? See, I'm not the one saying these things. I'm just reading these text messages or and uh, this tweet. That's all it is. That's your burner account, man. <laughs> it's not me, man. What I'm was it? You. Who was it? Smoke City. Smoke City. F- Smoke City FC. Uh, that sounds a bit like burner. <laughs> it says I follow football accounts in this smoky city. That's what it says. It starts with an S, and his name is Satyar Shah. No, That's all I'm saying. It's not. <laughs> and it's FC. He he likes soccer too. <laughs> no, it's too on the nose. Too on the nose. Um, uh, this text message here says, uh, "Looking forward to Carlson Rock in the black skate jersey." Hashtag ninety four Cup Run. Rob and Pitt Meadows texting in. So we'll see if that happens or not. All right, uh, we'll get to more of your text messages. We mentioned Niels Hoaglander post game. He did meet with the, meet with the media after scoring goal tonight in the Canucks loss, and here he is. I mean, we had a game yesterday, so I think a lot of guys was was tired, but that I don't think that's an excuse. But um, yeah, we played better in the second and third. On those nights when the legs might not be there, what's the best way to try to have some success? I mean, it's easy, easy to say, but just keep it simple. I think we don't really need to. We had a lot of turnovers today, I think, so um, we we'll learn and uh, do better next game. I know nobody will use it as an excuse, but I think it's your fifth game in eight nights going from the Eastern time zone back to the Pacific now in the Mountain time. How tough has this been physically? Uh, I mean, it's pretty tough, but that's that's the game too. I mean, it's the same for everyone. So, um, yeah, keep going next game. How happy were you to see your buddy, uh, Linus Carlson, get his NHL debut? Uh, yeah, I think he was really good. Uh, I think we played pretty good together too. We, we know each other from before, and uh, we played almost half the year last year together so um, I wish that last pack went in for him at the end there but um, yeah he, he played really good tonight that is Niels Hoglander tonight and said uh, Linus Carlson a guy you played with in the AHL last year guys familiar with had a strong game and uh, has familiarity with their time together in the AHL with the Abbotsford Canucks uh, did mention they were tired tonight and which was very evident from how they played um, some, however, are saying that's not a good enough excuse. The reality is fatigue is going to set in. And like the coach mentioned, it's how you work through these things. Mm-hmm. And hey, listen, right now the Canucks have played five games, in eight, uh, five games in eight nights, five different cities. They have a stretch of five games in eight days coming up again starting Saturday. Two of those against San Jose, like we mentioned before. So they are winnable, but fatigue is going to be a factor. And how you battle through it and find ways through it is going to be the mark of good hockey teams. And when we talked about how this team is off to this great start, which is something you should be super excited about. Of course you should be. Even tonight, 12-4-1. Like, mm-hmm. like, this is fantastic. But it's a long season. There will be ups and downs. There will be adversity. Injuries are going to pile up. There's going to be some real uncomfortable, tough moments. How do you get through those things? How do you respond? And sometimes you simply can't overcome a lot of that stuff the fatigue, the schedule, whatever it is, you you just won't overcome. But how do you respond? And how do you come back from it? And those are the types of trials and tribulations we haven't seen this team go through. And this is the beginning of one here where 
they're in the middle of a seven-game and 11-night stretch. They're coming off a lot of road games already this season. The schedule hasn't been the hardest in terms of the strength of opponent, but now it's getting tested in terms of what they're asking of them physically, game in and game out. And, uh, you know, uh, I I love seeing how this team is going to respond through all this. It's a great point about just how often they've played on the road so far this year. Just, again, the, the, the travel adds up. That's why they try to make it up on the back end, right? You start with the five-game road trip, never easy. They've had these quick little one-game jaunts here, uh, one to San Jose, here to Calgary, uh, throwing a three-gamer across the entire country. So you know, the, 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 the road games have, have stacked up here, and, and there's going to be another three-gamer by the end of this month. And it, I know we keep mentioning it, but it, it does underscore just how important these 25 points have been. Be- Massive. Because, again, the strength of the schedule is going to get tougher, but they've got this like long road or homestand from the middle of March to the end of March. That's going to be massive. Like, yeah, you're going to be playing uh, some tough teams like L.A. You're finally going to see uh, Dallas will be coming to town. Washington, who, who, by the way, are very improved all of a sudden. Uh, your boys, Washington Capitals. Uh, once Backstrom got out of the lineup, they got these youth movement all, all of a sudden working. Like, you'll see them uh, at My the end caps. of the year. Yeah, your caps. Um, that's at the end of the year, so, so some tough teams. But in that long stretch at home, uh, you'll, you'll make up the gap. But right now... Solve the problem as it is. Work the problem, as we like to say here on the show. Yeah, you got to find ways to get through it. And uh, th- that's just one of the challenges as, as you go through the season here. But um, <laughs> I just laughed at the inbox. Yeah, the inbox is pretty good. Uh, I was the best player on the team tonight, even though I took us off the power play. Connor G in Calgary. <laughs> Jokes for 60. I like it. Uh, Brandon and Poco. Uh, tough, tough night for the Canucks, but also tough for us having to watch them tonight. That's Brandon and Poco bringing in Jokes for 60. It's all in good fun. It's fun. You can have some fun. Um, now, Kevin from Surrey says, Myers is listening to coaches. He's not thinking. He's reacting. His reach is very effective. He needs structure, and they currently have it. Now, not everybody feels the same way. Um, somebody else texted in and said, the chaos giraffe is kicking the boards off off the coral. Myers' best game was against the Preds. Since that game, he's sliding down the mountainside. Go back and watch the game. So not everybody's on board with Myers playing better, but he is the guy that is getting some credit here on the text inbox. The Nashville game uh, at the end of the month? Not sure if I entirely agree with that. Uh, I, I thought he was decent against Edmonton. Um, yeah, Myers has been good. Uh, tonight, fluctuated. But I, I really do believe this is the best uh, version of Tyler Myers we see. We saw a more consistent version again yes. that year Bradshaw was here. Uh, but by and large, uh, Tyler Myers has been fine. Just fine. Yeah. He, just, I mean, especially with how much he struggled to begin the season. I think it's just encouraging to see his game kind of come around at the very least. Um, this text from Julian of Vancouver at Boston Pizza. I know it's Canucks radio, and I know there's a difference between NHL fans and Canucks fans, but the home team played their best game of the season, and the Canucks suffered a beatdown. It's true that the Canucks puck lock so far has been recognized. Cheers from Julian. And, and I mean, to give credit to the opponent, I thought Calgary in the first was was fine. I don't know if they were overwhelming at any point. They had their best win of the season, of course. I mean, Canucks being a top They took team. over in the second period. They did. They, they, did. Yeah. they took over, and I think for them, considering where they've been at, I can understand why they viewed it as a huge positive. And a necessary win for them. Not that we're the Flames postgame show, but you know, the, the, the Pacific 
and that wild card chase uh, becomes a little bit more interesting. Edmonton's rebounded here with wins in three. Calgary gets two in a row. They got 14 points in 16 games. So they're, they're kind of hovering around that uh, 18-point playoff mark with Arizona right now. And sat we're a week away from American Thanksgiving. Not a consideration for the Canucks because they'll have at least 25 points come American Thanksgiving, which is a great marker. Yeah. We've talked about hey, teams that win 12 of the first 16, what it means. Teams that win 9 of the first 12, what it means. The, the Vancouver Canucks will be safe come American Thanksgiving. That's obvious. But it's going to be fun to watch these uh, next seven days, how these teams try to claw back in. And remember, the numbers be within four points of the playoff line come American Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, right now, that bar extends to uh, Calgary. They're, they're safely in. Minnesota, Edmonton, Chicago, Nashville, San Jose are out of that. Yeah. And, I mean, those teams have uh, no hope at all. But <laughs> they, they don't. I mean, I'm sorry. They just don't. But, sorry, Edmonton. You got McDavid and Drysaddle. <laughs> no, I think McDavid. No hope. No, I think McDavid does. I think McDo- I, I think that's the, the exception. Like, McDavid and Drysaddle. Like, I mentioned this before the show, too. Would it shock you if they win 12 of their next 14, no, like 15, 16 games or something? Like, it, would, it wouldn't shock me at all. But Minnesota with Kaprizov? You're- I, I'm not kind of out on, I'm kind of out on uh, Minnesota. I don't know if they have enough to overcome falling into a bit of a hole i guess i guess the upside is is winnipeg that convincing and can they find a way to fight with those other teams but not impressed with minnesota um their firepower up front is really lacking outside of kaprizov um and i just don't love their center position and their defense they have three good defensemen but the rest kind of falls off a cliff so it's i think they're gone are the days when they had Suter, brodeen dumba spurgeon like at a high level, yeah. you know, and you know, I, I do like Brock Faber. I think he's come a long, mm-hmm. a long way. I'm a big fan of his. I like. But they were Jared's very comfortable just moving a Kalen Addison. Yeah, exactly. Who they didn't give a sniff to. And Jacob Middleton is fine. So, I mean, their top three defensemen are pretty good. Their fourth is decent. Mm-hmm. Five, six. It's just not a. You know, their goaltending hasn't been at the level it was the past couple of years. And when you're not great down the middle, I think eventually that that's going to be an issue for you when other parts of your game kind of fall apart. I'm just not high on Minnesota, to be honest. Um, I should have had the courage to pick the Jets to make the playoffs, not Minnesota. But I, look, I've been waiting for this Minnesota downfall for a couple of years. They're not deep down the middle. The defensive depth has been plucked away slowly, yeah, uh, and it just hasn't really uh, come about because because they've been very competitive. Uh, you want to talk about teams that play hard? Minnesota Wild do play hard, and. You throw in Kirill the Thrill, who's been amazing. They've they've gotten good goaltending the last couple of years, but now Gustafson's starting to uh, slide a bit, and it's it just not working out right now for Minnesota. No, those are the teams trying to jockey for position to be in the race come American Thanksgiving. The Canucks, well, they're giving themselves quite the cushion despite the loss here tonight in Calgary. And to talk about that and more, we welcome in the man we call the triple threat. You watch him on TV. You hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre. You coward, Matthew Shaw. How dare you chicken out on picking the Minnesota Wild to miss the playoffs? <laughs> I know. I was a massive coward. Big coward. Should have should have picked them to miss the playoffs. And I, I was like, don't down blame on you. I know. There is so there is so much pressure in our market <laughs> to stick by the wild. Yeah, exactly. Ian, are are you familiar that in our office here? Coward is like one of our favorite words. We use the very, uh, very really. Yeah. Oh yeah. We 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 
we can't go four minutes without calling someone a coward in our <laughs> office. Oh. Uh, now, have, has my name been attached to that? No, never. <laughs> but usually we just walk in and we just uh, say, like, Hey, coward! Yeah, no, no. For us, it's it's like a ter- term of endearment in some yeah. ways. So it's one of those oh. things. But yeah. Okay. Well, sometime you'll have to tell me off air <laughs> yes. the story behind it because clearly there's a reason why you guys use this word. Somebody <laughs> said it sometime to someone, and it was so outrageous or hilarious or uncomfortable that now you've adopted it, which I can I can get with. You know, it's I sometimes I miss being. As a correspondent for Sportsnet, I miss that that type of camaraderie in the office. Team bonding, each other, yeah. Yeah. calling yes. each other names, stealing each other's lunches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that might be punishable by death. I will say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. R- rifling through each other's desks. You're more than welcome to come scribe from our offices. Yeah, it's probably easier if I'm at home. <laughs> no one's calling me a coward here. No, no. Even it's a lot though easier. I guess, even though I guess I just displayed cowardice by not wanting to come into your office. But okay. yeah, should have driven all the way over here for for a 15 minute hit to close a night off. That seems uh, very economical. But uh, you know, it's you know we're, we're joking around, and there there isn't a ton of sting in this loss because I mean the Canucks were twelve three and one heading into the game. You are going to lose some hockey games, and you look at the schedule. A lot of reasons to look at it and say, hey, they they didn't quite have it, and it's all obvious what happened tonight. For me, the big thing is how do they respond from games like this? And as much as yeah, you can make excuses for, for fatigue, they have another stretch of five games in an, in eight nights starting on Saturday, and they have a couple of back-to-backs to end that off with. So it's not going to get easier in terms of battling fatigue here as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean every team has fatigue, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> tell me anyone who's sees their eighty-two game schedule in the summer and says, "Oh my god, I can't believe how good this is. <laughs> We're going to be yeah. rested the whole year." So. You know, fatigue should never really be an excuse, even though it is undoubtedly uh, a reality. So you have games like tonight, and it was, as I'm sure you guys have already talked about, you know, the five and five and eight and travel um, before each one and different time zones. This is the, uh, you know, the third time zone they've been in the five games. And it wasn't even as simple as working your way either east or west. It was all the way east and back west, now back to mountain. And playing the second game in less than 24 hours after a big emotional game. So, all that said, these games do happen, but you're right, Sad. It's about now how you respond. And in the same way that uh, the Canucks' poor performance in Toronto, which was less excusable, I'd say, their their sloppiness in that game compared to this this game tonight, but you know they they'd been on a heck of a roll before Toronto. I think they were eight zero one one going in to the center of the universe, and so they had that bad game. They had the stinker, and then they played a great game the next night in Montreal. So now it's just about and you know Ian Cole among others has talked about this that you can't. You can't let a bad game become two or bleed into three or four, and suddenly you've lost a couple of weeks in in the standings, and that's really hard to make up. Now, the Canucks do have the advantage of now having a pretty good head start for themselves, but they, they certainly don't want to let uh, this turn into something more than just 
know, kind of a, a ener, an energy less. Is that the right word? Is that a word? Energy less. We'll, we'll go anyway, with it tonight. We'll, we'll a game, a game without a game without energy. We're too much of a coward to call you out on it, so don't worry about it. <laughs> well, just because I'm a writer doesn't mean I'm literate. <laughs> um, as everyone should know, if they've read the internet, and I don't mean me, but just anyone on the internet. Uh, now it's a you know you can't let it become two, right? They have a they have a day to reset. It's not going to be you know productive hockey wise because I think they'll just rest. But they have a day to reset, and and then they got to play a Kraken team that's always been a handful for them in the two whole years that Seattle's been in in the league. But they're you know they they play with a lot of pace and speed, and and we'll see how the see how the Canucks respond. But it's the response now that's that's the key thing from tonight. The the key thing isn't no oh, they lost again. The key thing is how do they respond. Not that I want to make the focus about Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman, but it's more about solving the symptom here over the next six to eight weeks while Carson Soucy is away. Um, It's dictated by close games. Yesterday was close game overtime. Today they're losing. But is, is there a solution outside of just, hey, if you're in the lead, then we can roll these guys? Well, I, I mean, there's other guys that they can try, right? Breeze Bois has has been out all year uh, with a, with a concussion and, you know, it's gone kind of quiet around him. You know, he was, he was on the the first road trip and I saw him and, you know, just say hi to him. I wasn't going to, as a guy on the injured list LTIR, I wasn't going to start asking him questions about his, his health because that would not be appropriate. Um, But, you know, it seemed that I, I think there was hopefulness. That would be the word. There was hopefulness that maybe he was trending the right way and it wouldn't be too long. And now it's, it's kind of gone quiet. Uh, I think talk, it said, if I'm not mistaken, the other day in talking about it was Hiroshi who came up that uh, Christian Wolanin would have been the guy, but he got nicked or there was, you know, was fighting something. You know, beyond that, though, they they may have to look at uh, getting help from from outside the market. They may have to look at a trade. Um, you know, Zadorov looked pretty good tonight. He looked pretty engaged tonight, I would say, <laughs> with with Calgary. I don't know if he was trying to showcase himself. I think I think Vancouver has suddenly become a very desirable place. I think for players, and especially if you're a defenseman and know that you're going to get some opportunity. And you're going to play on one of the, what's been one of the the best teams and best stories in the NHL so far, and live in Vancouver. Uh, you know, I think there's probably a lot of players who would like an opportunity to come here and 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 be part of this. But for now, I mean, these are these are early days. Um, do I like the idea of Juleson Friedman long term? No, probably not. You, you you probably need to do better than that. Um, but we'll see, we'll see how it goes and it would help. I think if, if Brisebois would get, uh, healthy because I think he's, he's been underrated in this market for just his stability. I mean, clearly he's, he's a third pairing guy. He's in, you know, not a lot of flash to his game, but there's dependability there. And that's why this coaching staff and this regime like him and why he would have been on their NHL roster to start the season had he been had he been healthy. So 
we'll wait and we'll wait and see. But uh, you know, we we knew this going in, right? That this was, even though it's been um, extensively renovated, the blue line by Patrick Alvine since the start of last season, uh, it's still you know the position of concern, uh, and especially in terms of of depth and. You know, right now, uh, you know, no disrespect to Carson Soucy, but he's, you know, he's a solid third pairing guy. I think his average was just under 17 minutes. So you should be able to absorb an injury like that and, and, and keep going. And we'll see if the Canucks can do that. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens via trade and how far they're willing to go. But it, the reality is that pr- that's probably going to take some time here for the season to unfold. Um, in terms of guys out of the lineup, uh, positive tonight. Uh, the head coach mentioning Andre Kuzmenko might be back for the game against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, that not being something that's long term uh, seems like a bit of a bullet dodged. I-, I know he hasn't been as prolific as scoring goals, but considering when we see what happens when a few guys are out of the lineup, getting him back quickly has got to be a huge sigh of relief. Yeah, it is, and it is it is a, a bullet dodged because anytime a puck is up around someone's face with the velocity with which JT Miller shot it you know, there's huge dangers about, you know, broken bones and, and, you know, injuries to the mouth and then even worse, you know, concussions and, and eye injuries. So that is very good news uh, for Kuzmenko. I, I still haven't seen to tell you the truth and maybe you guys have, have, have you seen an angle of the shot that without uh, ambiguity shows where exactly the puck hits him? No, I have not. They didn't show anything outside of the original angle, right? So maybe yeah. there is video of it, but I don't think it's made, been made public. Yeah, yet. you know the way the way he brought, and this is you know neither here nor there, but the way he sort of brought his right arm up uh, just as the puck was coming into him, it almost seemed to me like maybe it was collarbone and neck area, and then it you know ricocheted up. Mm. But whatever it is, uh, it, they're lucky that that it's not uh, a significant injury and that he's going to be back because they, they missed him tonight. I mean, they missed a lot of things tonight, but you, you in theory, now the Canucks have lots of offense. So I, I understand that they're, they're, they're deeper there and better positioned maybe to, to absorb an injury. But in theory, if you're if you're talking about missing a third pairing defenseman or a top six winger, the top six winger is going to be missed more. And certainly the way the Canucks power play has has executed this season, you want to have you want to have Kizmenko. Plus he's got natural chemistry uh with Mikheyev and, and Pedersen and you know Pedersen had a had a tough night tonight. And I think probably Kizmenko was a little part of that. But the whole team was off. It's just he, he's a player that uh, that they need back, and so it's it's good that he's going to be back. Uh, I'm wonder what the status is of Pew Suter. I know that talk had said before the game that he was he was day to day, and let's let's hope all that's all it is because you know another uh, you know big picture uh, position of need might turn out to be third line center on this team and, and Pew Suter was just starting to play, you know, pretty well uh when he went out of the lineup. So 
so they need him back as well but again you know these are these are injuries that if you're who you think you are as a team uh the Canucks should be able to get to get through these yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's kind of, I think, where they have to be and what they have to figure out. But uh, we'll see ultimately what happens on Saturday and when the Canucks are back in town. And we look forward to not only chatting about the game, but also seeing you in person against the Seattle Kraken, Ian. Well, I hope. I hope it's not a three-hour game with oh, yes. overtime and I, and I have to cowardly bail on my <laughs> broadcast colleagues and across the rink and just sit my ass in the in the on the writer side of the press box and finish my story i hope i will be joining you on saturday night i certainly plan to my night wouldn't you know it's never complete if i don't get to see you guys i always get c sat i give him a ride home yes but you know i i'd like to see both of you yes we appreciate i I miss Yes, I miss you, Bick. Thank when, you, when thank I'm you, honestly, to you. Oh, so look at look at this. Lovely, See, look at the camaraderie here. A lovely ending <laughs> to the show. This is so fantastic, making me miss. Yeah, the if eye. only I could look in your lunch bag. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't find anything of note. Uh, uh, Ian, great stuff as always, man. Thank you. We look forward to reading your latest on Sportsnet.ca. See you guys. Uh, that's Ian McIntyre, and this insider was brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening and participating, calling in on the phone boards, just being part of it, uh, and especially those texting in. Appreciate every single one of you. Even if we didn't get to your texts, rest assured we read them and appreciate them all. So thank you very much. Look forward to being back on the postgame show on Saturday after the Canucks and Flame uh, Kraken go head-to-head, but Bick is back on the People Show tomorrow. I'm back on Canuck Central. We look forward to chatting with you then. Special thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory producing the show. He's Bick Nazar. I'm Satyar Shah, and this has been the Canuck Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.